This morning's reading is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end he was very hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Johnny. Let's just bow our heads for a prayer before I begin. Lord, I pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would speak to us, whisper to us, cry out to us. Lord, we long to hear from you for your glory. Amen. I've been meaning to go over and see my parents this last week, and I kept putting it off. And Kirsty kept saying, have you found your mum? And uh, arranged to go over, and I said, oh no, no, I haven't yet. And then I thought I'd go over on Thursday, and so on Thursday morning Kirsty said to me, have you found your mum? And I said, oh no, I haven't yet. And you know, I was thinking of all of those other busy things that were sort of pressing in on my time. Eventually, I did the right thing and I phoned my mum and I went over and, and saw her. But um, that was one thing that happened. Here's another thing that happened last week. I got an email from a lady I'd never met. It went like this. Hello, I'm Tanya from Russia, living in the USA. Some days ago, I found your profile on Bardu and decided to write to you. So here I am. I must say you are very cute and I would like to know you more. Let's write to each other. <laughs> By the way, in case you don't know, because I had to look it up, Bardu is a dating site, and I'm not on it. Okay. <laughs> but it was quite an easy decision to file that one in the bin. But these things come in all the time. We're, we're bombarded with them. The third thing that happened to me, or another thing that happened to me last week, Kirsty asked me to pray with her for about a service that we had later on that day. And, uh, and I thought about it and said, OK, but let's just get everything set up first, and then we'll settle down, and then we'll pray. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew that the, the busyness of the setting up and all the rest of it could get in the way of the prayer. And sure enough, the prayer never happened. What am I talking about? I'm talking about temptation. Pure and simple. The temptation to put off what's important for what seems urgent. Temptations of the flesh... If I'd followed through on Tanya's email, 
We all know where that was heading. And then temptation to think that we can get by without reference to God. All of us face dozens of temptations every single day, whether it's eating more than we should or the stuff that we shouldn't, whether it's holding on to our money instead of being generous with it, whether it's saying those words which should never have escaped from our lips, not visiting those we should have, spending a huge amount of time on Facebook or whatever it is, responding to social media stuff. We're constantly tempted. We're bombarded every day. And we're all in the same boat on this. So what are we to do? Well, the good news is that God's precious and powerful word, the Bible, identifies exactly where temptation comes from and it shows us how to effectively deal with it. Firstly, we can simplify the problem because actually, do you know what? There is only one temptation in the world and all others fall from this one temptation and that is the temptation to listen to someone or something other than God. And of course it begins in Genesis 3 when Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent and suggests that God has been a little less than honest uh, with them when he tells them that they must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the centre of the garden. The serpent suggests to them that if they do, in fact, they'll become like God. And they fall for it. After all, who wouldn't want to have a God's eye perspective on the world? But instead of it being a blessing, they go from a life of bliss to a life of pain, trouble, broken relationships, and ultimately to death, which is exactly what God has said would happen. What was the problem? Instead of listening to God, they were listening to the temptation, which always comes in disguise from Satan himself. And if we think on through the Bible when King David, that great man of God, known as a man after God's own heart, saw a beautiful woman bathing naked on the roof of a house one evening, I'm sure he never intended at that moment that it would end in somebody's death. To begin with, he just made a few inquiries about who she was. But by the end, he had Bathsheba's husband bumped off on the battlefield and takes her as his own wife. But in the long run, it costs David dear. Read the story. It's 2 Samuel chapter 11. So what's the solution? Well, solution is simple to explain. Here it is. Listen to God. Don't listen to the voices that tempt you in the wrong direction. It's simple to explain, but it's often hard to put into practice. Why is that? Well, I think the reason is because the world, the flesh and the devil, the three things that can send us off track, the Bible tells us, are loud. They're noisy. They are sensational. They advertise all the time. They're constantly in our faces. We don't hear God because everything else is so loud. So now perhaps it's time for us to look at our scripture reading, to go into the Judean wilderness with Jesus and to see what we can learn from him. And as we do, it might be good to ask one perhaps kind of obvious question. Is what on earth did Jesus think he was doing going into the wilderness in the first place? 
He had just been baptized in the Jordan. He'd been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Why didn't he go and start preaching and teaching in the towns and villages of Galilee? Why on earth did he go into the wilderness? Well, most Bible commentators agree that the wilderness time was a vital and necessary period of self-reflection for Jesus to confirm his identity and settle his calling as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. Leon Morris suggests that he faced questions such as, you know, what kind of a Messiah was he going to be? Was he to use his powers for personal use? Was he to establish a mighty empire um, that would rule the world in righteousness or perform spectacular, if pointless, miracles? And so this really is a date with destiny, this wilderness experience. And it's God's spirit, we're told, that leads him into the desert where he's tempted or tested by one thing after another. And it begins with Jesus' hunger after 40 days without food and the devil uses it to question his divine sonship. Jesus has just come from his baptism where in the waters of the Jordan God had said, You are my son in whom I am well pleased. And yet here, Satan says, if you are God's son, turn the stone into bread. He taunts Jesus with the aim of getting Jesus to use the powers for his own personal ends. And next he goes on to tempt him into setting up a powerful kingdom with which he could rule the world. And why not? I mean, after all, if Jesus was to rule the earth with righteousness, wouldn't that be a good thing? And finally, he tempts Jesus to consider performing a kind of divine circus trick, presumably in order to promote belief in him, to leap from the top of the Jerusalem temple and have God's angels sweep him up just before he hits the ground. And the issue for Jesus through all these temptations is this. And I'm sure these temptations came to him like they do for us, as a kind of clamouring voices in our heads, suggesting that we should do this or do that or try this or try that. And the question was for Jesus, how could he know if that voice he heard in the wilderness was the same voice he heard at the Jordan or whether it was the voice of the devil? How are we to discern God's voice from those of the world, the flesh and the devil? And I want to suggest two primary things on which Jesus depended and upon which we can depend in a world where we are assailed by the non-stop voices that want to drown out the voice of God. And they are word and spirit. Word and spirit. Firstly, word. How do we hear from God through his word? And how can we use it powerfully in our lives to counter temptation? Well, this passage is perhaps the most famous example of exactly that. How the word of God is used to overcome not just temptation, but everything the world throws at us. On all three occasions which are described in this passage, Jesus counters each temptation by quoting from scripture. And not just from scripture generally, but by quoting from Deuteronomy, from a time when God's people, the people of Israel, were where? 
They were in the wilderness. That's where they were. Do you see what Jesus does? Jesus is in the Judean wilderness himself and temptations are coming at him. What does he do? He goes to God's word and he remembers a time when God's people were in the wilderness. When they were hungry without bread. Tempted to worship golden calves, demanding divine circus tricks from Moses and from God. And there he finds the answer. He quotes the words God used to the people of Israel in the desert. Deuteronomy 8.3, man cannot live by bread alone. And the other two gospel writers go on to say, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is more nourishing than a loaf of bread. And then concerning the second temptation, where the devil tempts him to be a powerful ruler, if only he will bow down to the devil. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6.13, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's also the first commandment, isn't it? God's word is powerful. Interestingly, after the first two temptations, the devil tries to counter Jesus with God's word himself. And the devil quotes Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 that Jesus, he misuses... uh, So he misses the mark because he gets the context all wrong. Because the context of Psalm 91 is, if you make the Lord your refuge, he will command angels to guard you. Not if you do the devil's bidding. We have to take God's word in context. We can't isolate verses and use them to suit our arguments. That's a wrong way to handle scripture and Jesus calls him out on that. Jesus comes back at him and quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And through the use of scripture, through the use of God's precious word, Jesus overcomes all that the devil throws at him with the word of God. And we can do exactly the same. In my prayer journal at the back, I keep some key scriptures that I employ which I need in order to stand against the devil's tactics. If I'm tempted, in Jesus' own words, to look at a woman lustfully, then I'm well practised with 2 Corinthians 10.5, which tells us to take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ. It's a great way of stopping a thought like that from going any further. If I'm feeling fearful, I have Romans 8.15 to remind me that as a child of God, it's not a spirit of fear that I have. I'm a child of God. I don't need to fear. If I haven't been as loving as I might have been with Kirsty, Colossians 3.19 reminds me, husbands, love your wives and don't treat them harshly. And Colossians 4.2 reminds me, to devote myself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So the word is powerful and highly relevant to our everyday lives. And the second thing that we need to counter the world, the flesh and the devil, is the spirit. Why was Jesus in the wilderness? Because the spirit led him there. Why the wilderness? Because it's quiet. 
You see, the Spirit knew that very soon Jesus would be surrounded by crowds, some of whom would be demanding that he do things just because he could. Some would demand that he set up a conquering and become a sort of conquering Messiah, become a powerful ruler. Some would want Jesus to perform miracles to prove who he was. And God knew that he needed to hear very clearly what the Father was saying to him. I'm reading Mark Batterson's new book, Whisper, How to Hear the Voice of God. And he begins with a bold statement. He says, learning to hear the voice of God is the solution to a thousand problems. It's also key to discovering our destiny and fulfilling our potential. And he asks a question at the beginning. He says, is God's voice the loudest voice in your life? And I would imagine that few of us could honestly answer with a confident yes. And he suggests that that's our biggest problem. It's very hard to hear God's voice amidst the clamour of everyday life. Family, children, work, social media, TV, YouTube, email, one thing after another. There's an endless list. But one of the Old Testament characters who learnt to hear God's voice better than most of us was the prophet Elijah. And he had an extraordinary encounter with God on a mountain. God told him to stand on the mountain because God was going to pass him by. And 1 Kings 19.11 describes how, first of all, as Elijah stood there, there was a great wind that was so strong it shattered stones. But God wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a great fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then finally, after the fire, came a gentle whisper. And it's in the whisper that Elijah recognises God's voice. And if we want to hear God, we've got to get quiet. It's why people go on retreats. It's why we have quiet times. It's why Jesus went away to solitary places to pray. We can't easily hear the voice of God in the noise of everyday life. God speaks to us in whispers. Why is that? Well, in his book, Mark Batterson suggests that it's because when someone whispers to you, you have to get close in order to hear them. It's an intimate way of communicating. God wants us to be as close to him as we can possibly get. And when we get away from the noise of life and get quiet, we are giving him our full attention. And when someone comes to see me in the vicarage, I'll usually make them a cup of tea and then I'll invite them into my study and I'll close the door so that we're undisturbed and I can give them my full attention. When I shut the door of my study in the morning and settle down with the Bible for my quiet time, I'm giving God's word and spirit the opportunity, at least, to speak to me in an environment where I have the best chance of hearing from him and feeling as close to him as I can. The 17th century philosopher Blaise Pascal once observed, the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. Now that may be an overstatement, but the Bible says, be still 
and know that I am God. It seems that for thousands of years we have known that to hear from God we must be still and quiet, but today's world has largely forgotten this fact. Oswald Chambers wrote that the voice of the Spirit is as quiet as a zephyr. And he didn't mean one of those 1960s saloon cars. Sorry, you have to be at least my age to get that. But in the 59 years that I have been on this earth, of course I know you wouldn't have thought that, but I can honestly say that there is nothing more exciting than hearing from God. I was just looking back at my journal the other day, and uh, the last couple of months, and you know, just before Christmas I got a text saying that the Ofsted inspectors were descending on Catesgrove Primary School, which is now joined with Southcote Primary School in a federation of which I'm a governor. And I felt that morning the Lord say to me, I want you to prayer walk around the perimeter of Catesgrove. And so on both days of the inspection, I got up early and I went down before dawn and I prayer walked around the perimeter of Catesgrove. And Lisa Telling, who's the executive head of the two schools, told me afterwards that the Catesgrove team felt as if during the two days of the inspection an extraordinary peace and calm descended on the school like they'd never known before. And you know, it's so exciting. It was so exciting to hear that answered prayer that Andrea told us about. It's so exciting to hear God speak to us. It raises our faith. It gets us praising God and saying, Lord, I want to hear more from you. And please realise... That just because I'm a vicar, I'm no expert at this. Anyone can hear from God. And many times I'm sure I miss what he's saying. But I do know this. That if we want to be people who can stand against temptation, who can overcome the wall of noise that hits us on a daily basis and hear from God through word and spirit, we have to get quiet. We have to listen. We have to open the scriptures and wait for that whisper. God loves us. Jesus died for us. He wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to give him our undivided attention, at least from time to time, so that we can hear his whisper and live out our lives for his kingdom and his glory. And he might well be speaking to you this morning. Amen.